You're about to hear the reading of the article, The Life of Tiny Bunch, which was published September 24, 2020 on Swung Over. In this week's Integrated Rhythm, Chisomo Selamani, myself, Lewis Orchard, and Shawnee Brown talk about researching the life of Tiny Bunch and all the problems, troubles, tribulations that come around, especially when two white guys research a person from black American culture. We hope you enjoy. The Life of Tiny Bunch Part 1 Every now and then you get lucky in research. It all began with an advertisement for an all-black review called Harlem Express we found. At the bottom, in the biggest letters, it said, Wesley Tiny Bunch, the Wilkes Bar colored heavyweight doing a Lindy Hop dance with Gertie Green. That Wilkes Bar part is the lucky part. Wilkes Bar is a small, mostly white Pennsylvania coal city equally just as far away from Philadelphia as it is from New York. Locals have t-shirts that joke about all the ways the town's name is pronounced. Wilkes-Barre, Wilkes-Bear, Wilkes-Bar, and it just so happens the Whitey's and Lindy Hopper, known as Tiny Bunch, grew up in this small community, and their local newspaper published many stories on the dancer and his family throughout their lives, even updating advertisements like the one above, when their hometown celebrity did something they knew about. Tiny's real name was John Wesley Bunch, Jr. He was born September 24, 1910. Despite having only a tiny black population, Wilkes Bar is where Tiny Bunch's father, John Wesley Bunch Sr., came during his own great migration from North Carolina. John Sr.'s mother and a few of his siblings seemed to have eventually joined him, and they lived a few doors down from each other on a small, short street named Davis Place. Born in 1862 in North Carolina, John's grandmother could very well have been born an enslaved person. One of those siblings, Walter, would become a well-known local musician. John Sr. himself would become a popular and well-loved man in the community. A tip staff at the courthouse, he was known locally for giving school kids in-depth tours of the courthouse and for his humor at community mock trials. When John Jr. was around five years old, his parents received a black hand letter threatening to kidnap the young bunch. Though it understandably made his parents very anxious, it was ultimately believed to be a hoax, and nothing seemed to have come of it. Young John attended the mostly white Callan High School, where he seemed to surprise everybody by taking a big interest in both tennis and football. As the football article shows, there seems to have been the impression that John's playing football was a joke, and he rode the bench a good deal of the season. But once he was finally put in the game, he stopped the offense cold. But the city wasn't completely integrated. For instance, John was able to grow his passion as an athlete at the Young Men's Christian and Industrial Association Club, a black YMCA-like organization John's father helped found in the city because the town's already existence YMCA did not allow black members. From his later dancing, we can see that John loved to perform, especially humorously, and unfortunately with the times being what they were, an available performance outlet for a young black man in his situation was in minstrel shows. He was part of a hometown minstrel group in 1929 and received rave reviews for his dancing. Here's one paragraph from a review. The other difference, a big one at that, was John Wesley Bunch, who as in man was only a little darker than ordinary 
and who threw the audience of almost 1,500 persons into paroxysms of laughter by some tricky management of his surplus weight. Although not so much as a singer, Bunch really was the hit of the show with his dancing. This troupe appears to have been his own high school's official minstrel troupe, comprised of both white and black students. Though it's merely conjecture on our part, one important reason for John's sense of humor might have been as a defense mechanism to the way society treats people of heavier than average weight. As the sports articles show, people of bigger size than average are often seen as buffoonish, unathletic, and jolly. John might have leaned into humorous performing as a way to both gain acceptance socially while simultaneously subverting and disarming society's stigmas. In 1932, John Bunch Sr. unexpectedly passed away from complications during an appendicitis surgery. His death seemed to be a real blow to the community, with his obituary garnering almost a full page in the local paper. The young John was only 22 when he lost his father. Despite his youth, John was, sadly, no stranger to death. When John was 13, his family lost his infant brother. Around that same time, his uncle James, a New Yorker, had also died from a disease of complication, quote-unquote, in his grandmother's house next door. Another local uncle died from pneumonia after a time of ill health a few years later. Then, a year before his father's death, his musician uncle Walter succumbed to the disease of complication. By the mid-30s, several articles mentioned John as attending Philadelphia's Temple University and being a part of the football team. The university was known for being among the more diverse, mostly white colleges at the time. And in the summer of 1934, John was back in Wilkes Bar where his tennis matches were being reported by the local paper, once again surprising people with his athleticism. By April of the next year, however, he had moved to Harlem and was already performing as a Lindy Hopper touring with Jimmy Lunsford. This did not likely happen simply over a few months. John had several aunts and uncles in New York, and as Harlem is only 130 miles away from Wilkes Bar, he had probably often visited the mecca of black American culture to visit his family. If that's the case, it's possible that on these visits he was entertaining the dance floor at the Savoy and caught the eye of Herbert White. New York's nickname-loving community is probably who ironically dubbed John Tiny. He was such an obvious headliner that Whitey gave him his own group to run early on, according to Frankie's book. John's early life was an experience likely very different from his fellow Whitey's dancers. As a six-foot-one young black man of larger-than-average size, he had to navigate being very recognizable in a mostly white community. He didn't appear to have shied away from the attention, performing both on the stage and on the athletic field, and the white hometown papers, or friends visiting New York, were excited to mention when he later appeared in movies or in stage shows. But of course it wasn't all kind. He was used as a community punchline sometimes, like when a reporter mentioned one racehorse was so good he could win with Wesley Bunch as his jockey. At some point in the mid-1930s, he married. He returned home to Wilkes Bar to emcee dances and congratulate black hometown high school graduates. But family tragedy struck again when his mother passed away at the age of 48 in May of 1936. In June, 
he and his wife, Sarah, apparently either bought or sold property in his hometown in a time when everyone's financial business was for some reason published in newspapers. It's possible they were selling his family house, which had been deeded to him. Thus, Bunch had lost both his parents before he was 26, and his grandmother, Alice, the Bunch matriarch, would pass away the very next year. During these hard times, his professional success as a performer, leading a dance troupe, and appearing on stages across America and in films might have been a bright spot. In a picture in the article, he is dancing up a storm at the Savoy in 1938. The photo was taken by Morgan and Marvin Smith, identical twins who specialized in capturing life in Harlem, and as a rule, swore they never knew which one of them took a picture. Many people have gotten the mistaken impression that Tiny Bunch was the solo dancer at the beginning of A Day at the Races. That dancer was Troy Brown Sr., a Hollywood actor. Where you will find Tiny Bunch is in Radio City Revels and Manhattan Merry-Go-Round. To see a clip of his dancing, check out the Swung Over article. We haven't found any info yet on what happened to John during the 1940s. His last dancing and film we know of was that 1937's Manhattan Merry-Go-Round. According to his 1940 draft card, he was living in Philadelphia with Sarah by that time, and did not list an occupation. And in 1951, records show that John passed away at the age of 41, his life cut in half. John Tiny Bunch's story brings to light a few things the modern community should always keep in mind. First, if you look around the modern scene, you might notice there's not a wide variety of body types. John's story should remind us all that this dance is open to all, and all should be actively welcomed to this dance. To help the scene live this experience, make it a point to ask people to dance whose body type might be leading people to ignore them. Second of all, Tiny Bunch's life experiences should be a potent reminder to us of how careful we need to be when we watch the old footage. Tiny Bunch had literally done comedic minstrel dancing before performing as a comedic Lindy Hopper. How did one relate to the other? If you were to replicate his dancing today, what parts would be problematic? What other pioneers dancing might have been affected by expectations of minstrelsy? It's a vital part of being a responsible Lindy Hopper to try to answer those questions for yourself. It will require a good, long look at our pioneers dancing through the lenses of time, place, and background. On the plus side, you get to watch a lot of incredible dancing. We call this story part one because there's almost always more to find out, new perspectives to see it through, and more of the web of history to explore. Huge thanks to great researcher and friend Lewis Orchard for all of his help in researching John Bunch. Huge thanks as well to Shawnee Brown for her insight in preparing the article, and to Jessica Miltenberger for her helping edit.